I wanted to have a mindset that I was going to approach this with the same fervor that startup founders have when they create a company from scratch. I wanted to make sure that we had a foundation that was based in the idea of stakeholder capitalism instead of shareholder capitalism. And what I mean by that is like putting people first, making people feel like there's a sense of greater purpose than just the personal wealth they were going to accumulate throughout the summer working here. I wanted to paint from the get-go, you're going to be part of a winner. You count, you matter, you are integral to our success. We have the opportunity to accomplish something that's incredible, but we can only do it if we have everyone pulling on the rope together. There were a lot of days that I woke up that I was sick. There were a lot of days that I woke up where I didn't feel well. There was a lot of days where I woke up and I just like didn't want to be there. I didn't want to give it my all. I was like, can I just take a break? But my people, they counted on me. And I had told them from the get-go that they could count on me. I really took that to heart. And when I made that promise, it helped hold me accountable too. That desire to honor my word was really valuable and it helped set the tone for how they needed to conduct themselves as well. After graduating from Columbia University, Kyle Lopes made a choice to lean into a monumental challenge. He would build from scratch his own sales team with Cutco. During an international pandemic, he would help pioneer entirely virtual operations and teach his sales reps how to do the same. Competing with over 300 other young entrepreneurs nationwide and with a late start, Kyle and his team pulled off one of the most improbable and unprecedented achievements in the history of his company, shattering records on his way to a number one finish as the company's top summer branch manager. Kyle's story is a clinic on how to build an organization from scratch and turn it into a success. Get yourself ready for the brilliant insights of this amazing young leader, Kyle Lopes. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I am with Kyle Lopes today. Uh, that is a name that should be familiar to many of you, particularly if you are an avid fan of the podcast, as Kyle has been featured on here before. He's becoming one of the rare multiple-time guests on Changing Lives, Selling Knives. Kyle has been in the Cutco Vector business since 2012 uh, as a sales rep. He became the first college student 
in company history to sell over $1 million of Cutco while in school. He just graduated earlier this year from Columbia University in New York City with a degree in international relations. And he took on the challenge of being a branch manager this summer. He, his territory and market was Marin County in the San Francisco Bay Area. That is across the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. And Kyle did an amazing job finishing number one in the company, uh, winning the Silver Cup as a branch manager. The highest performance ever for a first-time branch manager previous to this performance by Kyle was $476,000 in sales. Kyle and his team exceeded $600,000 in sales for the summer. Just an incredible, epic performance. And I'm really excited to talk about that today with him. So Kyle Lopes, welcome to the podcast. Thank you uh, for being a guest once again. I'm excited to be back. Thanks, Dan. All right. Well, let's uh, get a short history of your path in the business before we start talking about this epic summer that you just had. Yeah, definitely. So I started in 2012 in San Jose, and you were my trainer and my manager when I started. And uh, I was not a good rep by any means. I, I was not very professional and was not very polished and didn't really know exactly what I was doing. It was really just, this was my first true professional experience, my first real job out of school. And so I really struggled that first summer and actually for the first couple of summers, just trying to figure out what I was doing here. I went and actually played hockey for three years after high school and I did Cutco part-time around that. And so I was able to live in Wisconsin and then Montana and then Oregon and then Colorado and then New Hampshire all before I turned 21. And I did Cutco part-time to pay the bills. And so I had to start from scratch in all five of those states without really knowing anybody in those states and just develop leads, develop connections, develop customers. After those three years of playing hockey, I then went to a community college in San Jose and I became a Cutco sales professional and sold Cutco full-time around school. And in 2016, I was able to break the all-time record for sales by a student. I did a little over $267,000 in sales that year, also winning a silver cup for that by becoming the first full-time student to be the top Cutco sales professional in my category for a year. I then broke it again the following year and was able to sell $272,000 that year while working 40% less because trying to find that work-life balance was really important to me. And like you said, I was able to transfer to Columbia in 2018 and in the summer of 2019 before finishing up my senior year, was able to uh, be inducted into the Hall of Fame for the company, which I'm extremely proud of. Yeah, it really is incredible for someone of your age to have had such accolades in the personal sales arena. And this is all detailed in episode number 47 of the podcast. I would recommend that you guys put that into your queue after this one. If you like what Kyle has to say today, check out his full story in that episode. You say something in that episode, Kyle, that I want to underscore, and that is that you would that there was a question that stood out in your mind constantly, which was, how would the person I want to become act in this situation? And by thinking about who it was that you wanted to become, uh, you began to take on more of the actions, habits beliefs, etc., of that person. And that helped you evolve throughout those years. Is that correct? Yeah, definitely. That's a, a cool 
concept or thought to consider. So we take it forward to 2020, and you are at Columbia. The pandemic begins two months or more before you graduated, and uh, you're finishing up school, you know, in virtual fashion. But you're there in New York City, the the hotbed of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic in the United States, at least at that time, and considering what to do, where to take your talents once you graduate, right? So what went into your decision to be a branch manager? Yeah, I think that there were a lot of different things that played a, a factor in my decision. You know, I had always wanted to be a branch manager, but the timing was never good. I recognized the opportunity that I didn't have a chance to really adequately train and prepare for the position. And then when I was finally at a stage in my life where I had the opportunity to prepare, once I was going to community college, I was living in San Jose full-time, I had felt that I had progressed so far within the personal sales arena with Cutco that the financial opportunity cost of taking a summer off of just selling for myself and running a branch office was just too high for me to, uh, for me to be able to feel comfortable with. But the itch was always there. And so... I was, you know, trying to navigate remote learning, uh, like you said, in the epicenter of the pandemic in March and April. And my division manager, Dave Powders, reached out to me about the opportunity to run a virtual branch office, something that, you know, we were piloting and, and the company was trying to pivot in the face of this impending pandemic. And at the moment, I was gripped with fear. I hadn't been in management for five years when I was an assistant manager for a little while. And I was just very out of tune with all the different programs and systems that you needed to have in place to be a successful manager. I didn't have any staff. I was on the other side of the country. I was trying to buckle down on final projects and papers and exams in order to graduate with honors. And as a second semester senior, a lot of the coming of age and rite of passage events that I've been really eagerly anticipating for the last couple of years were also canceled. And a lot of my friends were suddenly being beckoned home by their families. So I also wanted to spend time just having an opportunity to say goodbye to them because I didn't know the next time I'd have an opportunity to see them. And so those were all limiting beliefs that I had in regards to branching. I really just didn't feel like it was a good time. I also had spent quite a bit of time interviewing at other companies and going through the interview processes, being extended, multiple offers. I, I felt like I had really put myself in a great opportunity or a position of choice. And so I had a million reasons as to why now was not a good time to branch. And yet, in looking at and weighing out all my different options and seeing the way that the landscape was going to be changed by the pandemic moving into the upcoming summer, it really was important for me to take a step back and put aside any type of you know preconceived notions about the branch opportunity and just think about it for a moment. And you know, I'd been conditioning myself since I started here that when things in my life were uncomfortable or they were nerve-wracking or I didn't feel prepared, I would do my best to lean in instead of taking a step back. And so I asked myself, hey, you know, with this branch opportunity, it's something you've wanted to do for a long time. If not now, when? And so that's why I decided to jump in. Mm. I like what you said about leaning in instead of stepping back. I think that that philosophy in life uh, tends to put us in position where uh, we have a faster learning curve and a faster growth curve, I guess you could say, and that uh, we, we all become more through uh, having that philosophy. So it's cool that, uh, that you saw that and decided finally, decided finally uh, to get in there and, and be a branch manager for the summer. Tell us a little bit about how things started. Like, uh, I, I want to know 
what it was like being in New York City and beginning to recruit and train reps in California and just uh, what the process was like to begin building it. Yeah. No, I think the first thing about it was it was daunting. And uh, it was very easy most days. You know, A lot of people, when they hop into this position, they've been spending so much time preparing for it. They've had months to think about it and get engaged and get ramped up and get excited and motivated. And it was, for me, very dejecting at first because you know I was excited to take the opportunity, but I also felt like I was just so far behind the eight ball. And what I realized in that moment was in order to run a successful organization, I needed to identify what things you know in today's world with a workforce that was going to be comprised of more, mostly 18 to 21-year-olds, um, was I going to need to do well? What areas were was I going to need to develop uh, so that I could start to create plans and work on you know identifying the blind spots that I hadn't considered being outside of management for five years? And so I think the first thing for me being in New York was just sitting down and writing out on a piece of paper the various factors that I think contribute to a really good organization, a really good startup, which is really what this is. And so that was important for me to game plan. And, and I wanted to share some of those ideas that I'd actually written down on that piece of paper in New York when I first started, when I first decided to jump into this. Uh, the first was that I realized that there was an, a need for an unwavering leadership during this time when there was a lot of doubt and fear, misinformation, conjecture. I realized that this was going to be an opportunity for me to be a rock for a lot of young people that were going to be searching for that stability this summer. Mm. Uh, I also realized that I needed a staff. I needed a staff that I could lean into because the various accolades I was able to receive through sales were typically just me. And I couldn't just run the office with just me. I needed some help. And I needed to be able to delegate things. I needed to have people that I could rely on to co-pilot the plane with me. And so I knew that if it was just me, I was going to crash and burn. I knew that I wouldn't be able to fully maximize my potential because I'd be spinning too many plates and they would inevitably crash. And so... Because of my understanding of this fundamental barrier between me and my potential if I was to go out of the loan, I also wasn't afraid to invest big dollars in our staff because I knew that if they felt like they were being fairly compensated for their time, they'd be more committed to our ultimate objectives. The last few things that I really considered was vision. I wanted to come up with a vision that people could rally behind and support, something that I could leverage to motivate and inspire my staff and my future team. I also wanted to create culture. Uh, I realized that there was going to be a desire and a need for interconnectedness during the pandemic. And so was there an opportunity for me to leverage this business to uh, help drive recruiting and create a space that people were excited to be a part of? And if so, how was I going to go about creating this during a virtual time where I'm, like you said, thousands of miles away from my people. And this is a brand new, entirely remote position. And so how to, you know, just trying to be cognizant of that. And then the last couple of things were just trying to help people seize the opportunity, uh, the income opportunity here, because if they did it early on, I knew that they were going to trust the program and they were going to trust me as a byproduct of that. And so especially during a time where everybody had their jobs and their internships canceled, a lot of people that income they were anticipating this summer had all of a sudden evaporated. And so with all of that in mind, I wanted to do two main things personally. The first is I wanted to have a mindset that 
I was going to approach this with the same fervor that startup founders have when they create a company from scratch. That willingness to sacrifice their personal lives because their vision is so much greater than the instant gratification of you know going out that night. And so I decided and I told Dave from the get-go, hey, if I'm going to branch, I'm going to do this 100%. I want you to treat me like a district manager, like a full-time year-round manager, because I'm going to outwork everyone else. Because one... I'm already really far behind. And two, that's just what people do with startups. And so I believe that if I was not willing to really sink you know, 100 plus hours a week into this, then my business was going to be part of the 90% of startups that ultimately fail. And then the second thing was I wanted to make sure that we had a foundation that was based in the idea of stakeholder capitalism instead of shareholder capitalism. And what I mean by that is like putting people first, making people feel like there's a sense of greater purpose than just the personal wealth they were going to accumulate throughout the summer working here, especially in a territory as affluent as the one that I was going to be in, where many of the young people that I was working with, they grew up with extraordinary privilege and didn't actually need the the summer money. So in recognition of all that, it was important for me to, like I said, uh, the first thing was just creating a staff. And so I reached out to a few of my friends that I'd made over the years working here and uh, saw, I've just tried to seek out some help. And uh, one of the first people I reached out to is Josh Sullivan. He had been working here uh, with me about five years ago. And uh, we'd always stayed in contact a little bit. So I reached out to him to touch base. And he was one of those people that I alluded to earlier that you know COVID totally changed and reconfigured his whole summer. Um, he had shot his summer job and he was intrigued about the opportunity of being able to build something remotely. And so he said he'd be willing to put in a ton of hours each week. And one thing about Josh that's important to know is historically, based on our previous experience working together, he'd been somebody who talked a big game, but his actions didn't necessarily follow. And I think one thing that was important for me to be a leader of this team was I needed to not be afraid of confrontation. I needed to step into that and be willing to be upfront and transparent with people because I felt like it built social capital and trust. And so mm-hmm. I brought up you know his prior track record with him and wanted to just make sure that we were on the same page, that I was going to run this like a DM and I needed him to be like a top sales manager. And uh, he was on board with that. And so I had my co-captain in place and I felt very confident about his commitment level. And then I reached out to another best friend of mine who I met through Cutco, Evan Ellsworth, to see what his summer plans were. And been a full-time job uh, that he was currently pretty happy with. And he told me that his brother, Avery, who I had actually just kept in touch with very sporadically. We hadn't really talked very much over the last five or so years that he had worked at Cutco. He had just told me that Avery was playing professional volleyball in Finland, but he had his volleyball season canceled because of COVID. And so he was going to be back in California and just hanging around, not really doing anything. So I reached out to Avery at Evan's suggestion. And uh, Avery was also excited about the opportunity to work remotely. He wanted to work just a few days a week because he really wanted to prioritize for the first time in a long time being home with his family and also staying in shape for the next volleyball season. And so being able to work out that working relationship with him where he was going to be able to work part-time and feel like the other essential things for him in his life were going to be respected was really critical. And he was able to really dig in and give great value during the hours each week that he worked. And then the last person that joined our team um, in April, as the world was sort of disintegrating around me in New York, a friend that I'd made a while back in Cutco sent me a text to check in and see how I was doing. And so I explained to this friend, Callie Lott, 
how the situation in New York City was dire and bleak and how I was thinking about leaving. And she mentioned that she had a spare bedroom in Springfield, Missouri, if I needed somewhere to stay for a week or two if I wanted to leave as soon as possible. And so it was one of those things where, you know, how people sometimes they offer something, but they never think that you're going to actually take it. And so I would, you know, mold it over for a few weeks, but I was like, nah, she's not actually serious. And then finally, I was like, you know what, Callie, like, hey, like, is it cool if I get out of here for like a week or two, and then I'll make my way back to California over time? And she said, sure. And so I decided to take her up on the offer. And then once I was in Missouri, it ended up being surprisingly a, a really good living situation. And she liked that I worked so much because it helped push her to also work harder at her job. And she also, in the process, really bought into the vision and bought into what we were trying to create. So she generously offered to help me build out our social media platform. So we had a little bit of clout and presence if anybody looked online. And uh, after a month, she decided to start selling Cutco super part-time to earn a little extra money on the side. And then near the end of June, she decided to join our staff completely and run our recruiting and social media. And it completed our ragtag team, our ragtag quartet. Wow, pretty cool. You know, it, it uh, just gets me thinking about anybody who uh, is a Cutco branch manager thinking, you know, who do I know that could be a part of my team? Colton had, when Colton Horn was the number one branch manager the summer before you, and he had one or two assistant managers who were, had worked with him in the past, like you did, that he painted a vision for and worked with. His girlfriend worked with him and helped as well, was a big part of their, their success. And so he, he really, you know, made an effort to build out, you know, some teammates before the summer started just as you did. And that's something I think people can do. And as you said, running a branch is like a startup, right? It's a mini experience of having a startup. And when you have a startup, the people that you surround yourself with at the beginning are some of the most important decisions that you make that help uh, lead you to success. So it was cool that you're able to get that rolling. Tell us more about the first few weeks when you started building the team and, and recruiting and training. <clears throat> Yes, those first few weeks were really slow. I'm not gonna lie. I, like I prefaced at the beginning, it's been a long time since I was in management. I sucked at running interviews. I was terrible at uh, helping to run training with Dave. I just, there was so much I didn't know. And there was also so much that I didn't know I didn't know. And <laughs> it was just so frustrating at the beginning because I went from feeling like I was achieving at a very high level in the sales arena of Cutco to feeling like I was achieving at a very mediocre level immediately uh, in the management arena of Cutco. And so it was very humbling and also further emphasized for me the importance of continuing to reach out to people and trying to speed up my learning curve as quickly as possible, trying to glean a lot of different insights from other managers that were performing at a really high level and seeing people like on the East Coast, Lydia Frentos and Alejandra Carrasco that were absolutely killing it with their branch offices and going like, wow, maybe someday I might be able to do something like that. It really just opened up my vision of what was possible. So those first few weeks were really slow. They were really frustrating. Uh, it was easy to be dejected. But we started to get some people in the door. And my little brother was the first one. Eric was our first rep. And uh, Eric had been talking about trying to sell Cutco for the last eight years when he was 12 years old. So I got him in the door as my first rep. And uh, we just we slowly started to build it out. I tried to figure out the systems and the programs. And we had success right away. One of my friends from Columbia, Dennis Franklin, was from the Bay Area. And he started working with us. And he happened to be a 10K fast starter, which is pretty awesome. And we really used that momentum and use that success to 
inspire other people who were just joining the team and saying, hey, look at what I just helped this person do. Look at what he was able to accomplish despite all of his other things going on in his life and started to build some clout and some trust. Nice. Nice. And you referenced uh, Lydia Frenzos and Alejandra Carrasco, who both got out to a big lead early in the summer campaign. Vector's summer campaign for branch managers is a May, June, July, August competition. And I know that Lydia, in particular, broke the May record, which was the oldest record on the company's record books. It had stood for almost 20 years. And so it was shaping up to be a really exciting and big performance for her and for Alejandra, which it turned out to be both of them ended up selling something almost almost 400000 each, which is just a tremendous performance. When did you realize that you had a real chance to be able to compete at the highest level? I think for me, it was probably at the end of June. When I started here, I said this a couple of times to some other people previously, I was very skeptical that my office was going to be very good at all. Um, I was put in an area that was uh, historically considered to be a low recruiting area and therefore not, a, not the greatest territory to be in for a manager. And, and that was not a good recipe for success, given the fact that I hadn't been in management for as long as I had. And so I didn't have my expectations set very high. Uh, my goal was like, hey, if we could do $125,000 in sales this summer, I'd be a happy camper. And then when we got some staff together and we started to see some early success, I was like, hey, maybe if we get lucky, we could do like 200000 maybe 300000 if we're super, super lucky. We have a lot of really good reps. And uh, it wasn't until mid-June when our office was at about $110,000 in sales for the summer, that I took my first look at the national standings. I knew that Lydia was killing it every week. I knew that Alejandro was killing it every week. There were a couple of managers on the East Coast that were also just crushing it. And uh, every week, I would see it on our, our weekly leaderboard, but I didn't actually look to see what they were at for the summer. And so about mid-June, uh, it was the second week of June, I looked for the first time and I saw that uh, Lydia's office was $130,000 ahead of us. And like I said, we were only at 110,000. So I actually made a note on my phone titled Cutting Deficit. And every week I shared where we stood with our staff. I projected you know, both our weekly and our long-term goals for trying to make up that spread if possible. And I also said like, hey guys, this is a long shot. Just so you all know, to be very clear, I don't actually anticipate beating her, but or like even catching them, but like it's a good goal to shoot for. And so I tried to inspire them and I tried to really just motivate people to put their heads down and be as efficient with our hours as possible through that vision. And so in week one, I, I pulled up my note here, but in week one, we were $139,000 behind. And then in week two, we were $135,000 behind. Uh, by the end of June, week three, we were $122,000 behind. And then we started to make up some, some room in July. And that was where our team started to take off. After the first week of July, we were $91,000 behind. After the second week, we were $60,000. And by the second week of July, or at the end of the second week of July, we had closed the gap to about $30,500. And it was at that moment that our focus turned to, holy cow, we might be able to actually do this thing. How big can we build it? And that was a really liberating belief. It, it really shattered the mental ceiling that we had as far as our potential was. And so in July... We had a push period for the entire Western region. It was uh, the Summer Conference 2 push period. It was a two-week push period. And we ended up beating all of the offices in our region, including the year-round district offices and the flagship pilot offices. We beat them all right. in that two-week period. Right. And that was something that I was like, wow, 
we are doing something that is pretty incredible right now. And uh, in August, I was like, guys, like we've, we've got five weeks here. Like, let's just go. Let's see what we can do. And every day, I felt like every day I was just spitting vision with our people. I was, I was pushing them to go even harder than they thought possible. And I moved the goalposts for our management staff and our team to reflect this heightened potential trajectory. And so forecasting the vision, even though I was really doubtful that we would ever come near touching it, I believed that if we shot for the moon, we were going to land in the clouds. And so mm-hmm. in August, we ended up breaking the all-time record for branch office. We did over a quarter million dollars in sales in August. And we finished the summer with 15 reps over $10,000 in sales. But only two of our representatives were over 16000 And the highest was at 32000 So it was a total team effort through every single week of the summer right down to the end. Yeah. It was really incredible to see. Obviously, as your region manager, I had a front row seat to, uh, to watch that happen. And I, like you, did not think you would be number one uh, in May or June. I mean, I knew there was a shot because I've seen the branch race unfold many, many times. And it's not necessarily about who has the fastest start. It's about who has the highest peak, right? And you grew your office to 70,000 I believe 70,000 was your highest week, right? Something like that. Yeah, um, 75. Yeah. And that sort of a peak makes up a lot of ground real fast in July and or August and kind of knew that it was uh, out there to be had. But I found myself shaking my head on Monday night, Tuesday mornings, as we would look at the final reports for each week, I found myself shaking my head in disbelief that uh, you were putting up numbers that were bigger than, as you said, the district and division pilots in the Western region for the week. And it was just an incredible thing to see. You described uh, painting the vision, right, with your people and sharing the deficit and, you know, why go after it, this and that. Do, Do you have anything else to share about how you communicated your vision with your people? Yeah. So I truly believe at a core level that tomorrow's leaders are going to need to be excellent promoters. They need to realize that the sum of the parts within their organization equal more than the whole. They don't equal the whole, they equal more than that. And so they first off need to help the individuals within their organization identify their own personal long-term goals. And once there, they need to help them break down those goals in order to help their people create a weekly and daily plan of action. People need to see their big goals broken down into bite-sized pieces because it's too hard to conceptualize and motivate people on something that they view as impossible and far-fetched and abstract. And so when you have it broken down, they can attack each week, they can attack each day with singular focus, and they oftentimes, you know, they hit or they surpass even the largest goals. And in the process, they break through their own personal glass ceilings because they achieve something bigger than what they had thought possible for themselves. I think another way that we really communicated vision with our people is through recognition. We publicly recognized and promoted people for doing a great job. And one thing that really struck home with me when reading uh, the, you know, the One Minute Manager was how often people dread being talked to by their managers, right? In most of the world, in most of America, the only time that your manager wants to talk to you is when you messed up. And so that negative feedback loop is not good for retention or development or definitely does not build trust. And so I wanted my people to hear from me all the time by praising them every time they did something right and encouraging to keep them to keep up the great work. And so we would post in our group chat and we would gas them up all the time. We'd post on our Instagram and our Facebook and our LinkedIn for all their promotions and their big paychecks. 
I'd be texting them or calling them. And if they hit their promotion or they had a big sale, I would call them and I would like, they'd answer the phone and be like, Hey Kyle, what's up? And I'd be like, way to go. Great job. You killed it. You're awesome. And I would audibly cheer for them and it made them feel good. And I also wanted to, at the same time, hold people accountable. And sometimes you need to, you know, hold feet to the fire a little bit. And so I would constantly remind people through check-ins where they stood in relation to where they wanted to be. And I leveraged our weekly team meetings and our personal daily calls. But at the same time, I wanted to make sure that people felt supported so that when they fell behind, they didn't become discouraged and dejected and all of a sudden stop working, which again, all too commonly happens. And then the last thing I think about just communicating vision with our team was setting expectations early on that they were going to be part of a winner. I think for me growing up in sports, I realized that every single season, there's only one team that's the winner. There's only one team that's number one. 90% of the kids that play in that league don't know what it's like to be a winner. And on top of that, how many people in society never play sports? And so how many people in society, how many people that I'm working with right now have never actually known what it felt like to be a winner, to feel recognized, to feel like they're part of a championship team and a championship culture. And so I wanted to paint from the get-go, hey, this is different. This isn't sports, but you're going to be part of a winner. And you count, you matter, you are integral to our success. And we're going to shock the nation this is, you know, the nation right now with everything going on, they need a feel good story. They need that Cinderella story. And so this is a lot bigger than you. This is a lot bigger than you. This is a lot bigger than any of us singularly. We have the opportunity to accomplish something that's incredible, but we can only do it if we have everyone pulling on the rope together. Mm, I love what you said about tomorrow's leaders are going to need to be excellent promoters and all of the things that you did to help people see, you know, what could be the vision. For the team and what could be the vision for them individually that was a part of that. I think that's a part of being a great leader in anything, uh, in any field in life. That was some really good information right there, Kyle. So what were some of the moments that stand out from the summer? You must have some pretty cool stories to share. Yeah, I honestly have way too many to share. This podcast would take way too long. So I wanted to distill it to just a few. I remember at the beginning of the summer, I hopped onto a field training appointment with one of my newer representatives, Alicia uh, Pimentel. It was about 11 p.m. my time because of the time difference, and she had just started out. I think she was on day she was on day five of being here. I think she was at like 3,000 in sales, which was definitely really good. Nothing crazy, nothing mind-boggling, but like a very good start. And uh, she absolutely blew me away with her talent, and so. We were dealing with these customers that were just, you know, regular people. I think they were like mid thirties, didn't have any kids. And she was just incredible. She did such a great job as a brand new baby rep on our team. And a little past, you know, 1230, 12.45 AM my time, we finished working together to help close a Cutco kitchen order for these customers, uh, being a little over $7,700. <laughs> and, and so Alicia, 
brand new out of high school, 18 years old. She made over $1,300 in one singular appointment on her fifth day working here. And that was a major confidence booster, as you can imagine. And it carried her to future and further success throughout you know, the rest of her fast start and then throughout the rest of the summer. And now she's our lead assistant manager intern on our team. And she's actually running her very first interviews. And so she wants to run her own office in the future. And I think back to that singular moment as a, a really pivotal moment for our office's success, as well as like her own personal success. If I had to pick two other moments, I would say one would be every week in our staff meetings. Avery, he would always get annoyed at me because our staff meetings would always run longer than they were supposed to when we held them late in the evening. And uh, every week until really the end of August, we would sit there and just be incredulous about what we had just accomplished the week prior. And it was so fascinating to see all of our faces, to see how excited and fired up all of we got. And for me, I was running on E. I was running on empty for a lot of the summer. I was working a lot of hours and pouring all I had into every hour I was working. And it was moments like that where all of us were able to just sit for a moment and take stock of what we had accomplished that filled my cup again and made me excited to do it again another week. And I just loved knowing that we were in the middle of something magical and everyone could sense it. And then I think the last memory would just be my little brother, Eric. My little brother, Eric had an appointment where he was really struggling for the last like two or two and a half weeks prior. And uh, his confidence was very low. And he met with a customer and sold his first ultimate set. And uh, the sale was a little over $3,000. It was our second largest order in the office for the summer behind Alicia's order. And he earned uh, over $600 on that presentation, earned a promotion. And you know, like I alluded to earlier, ever since Eric was 12 years old, he'd always been looking forward to selling Petco. He used to attend our car rallies in the San Jose office. At one point, I paid him like 100 bucks to organize hundreds of pink sheets for me. He would come field training with me on my service calls when he was 16 and 17. But being my little brother, he inevitably also felt like he was always in my shadow. And that undoubtedly also felt really daunting to him. And so to see him close that sale, how good it made him feel, I honestly, that evening, like I just had tears in my eyes. He really finally felt validated and that he could do this. And it made me feel incredible. Yeah. That's so cool. Loved hearing those stories, Kyle. You talked about Alicia. You talked about Eric. The people, the people is what really makes the summer amazing, right? It's the stories of the people, right? Do you have other uh, people that stand out from your experience this summer? Yeah. I mean, so many people achieved at a high level. So many people achieved even in just a a short time, a couple of weeks working with us and then uh, decided to move on to something else that also we had just great interactions that are seared into my memory. If I had to pick just a few last stories to share, just to be conscientious of our time, I would say one of them would have to be Emily Singerman. Emily, I've shared her story multiple times with our region, but she, her second day of training before she even actually officially started, texted me and said, Hey, Kyle, I can't do this. This isn't for me. I'm too shy. I'm introverted. This just doesn't sit right with me. I'm going to go do something else. And I was on the phone with her in the middle of training for about 35 minutes, just talking to her about, Hey, like you feel uncomfortable. You feel like this isn't for you. You feel like, you know, you're nervous, you're scared, you're anxious, all of those feelings. That is totally normal. And I felt those exact same feelings when I was in your shoes 
and everybody, almost everybody in this training class with you, almost everybody that works with us had those same feelings. And you know what, Emily, because you feel like that, that's exactly why you should do this. Mm. You should give this a try. You should not quit on yourself before you try because I will not quit on you if you don't quit on you. And she decided to give it a go. She decided to trust me in that moment, a total stranger. We had never met each other. I didn't even have an opportunity to meet her face-to-face because this was all on Zoom and I was thousands of miles away. But she decided to trust in me. And she had some success right away. And a couple of days in, she was like, Kyle, I'm liking this job. This is actually pretty cool. And by the end of the summer, she was one of our top representatives for the summer. She sold $16,000. She made a little over $3,500 for the summer. But more than the income, she gained great skills. She gained self-confidence. And she told me that like, hey, you know, this job was was very valuable to me because I wasn't in the greatest headspace at the time. And this has honestly been the best thing I've ever done. So that was pretty incredible for me. I think I think the last story would just be Jack DePenaloza. Jack started here at the beginning of the summer and uh, honestly was super lazy. He was very similar to me when I started where he was cerebral for sure. He was the type of kid that should absolutely kill this job. He came you know, from a good area. He had good connections and resources. He was popular growing up. He had a friend group, but man, was it hard to keep this guy motivated. And with Jack, it was really just digging in and saying like, hey man, it's time to step into that greater version of yourself. It's time to, you know, your vision of yourself is here. Let's make that happen right now. And uh, you know, the greatest time to plant a tree was yesterday, but the second best time is right now. And so let's just step into that and really just holding him to a higher standard for himself. And Jack, uh, he killed it. He absolutely did great this summer. He did over $10,000 in sales and he's really excited to potentially actually branch and, and run his own branch office in the near future. So we're all, also really excited to have him as part of our assistant manager intern core. Yeah. Great stories, Kyle. The example of Emily, where you shared with her that it's normal to feel nervous, to feel scared, to feel uncomfortable doing something new and different. That's such a brilliant insight for everyone to to think about and to remember in any challenge that we tackle in life, when you feel a little bit of that sense of nervousness or fear, that's the time to lean in, as you said earlier today, instead of stepping back, because those are the moments that force growth and development within each of us. If we're always doing things that are easy and comfortable, then we're going to tend to stay pretty much the same without much evolution in our lives. And it's so important to uh, take on those challenges. Kyle, in the time we have left, uh, I'm interested in hearing from you about you and just you know what qualities do you feel you brought as a leader uh, that led to such success in this organization? There are a lot of different traits that I bring to the table and ways that I can help our organization. But the one thing that I feel like I did really, really well and, and that I try to do really well every day is just care. There exists in society, there exists in business, something that I call a, a purpose gap. And uh, McKinsey did a study on this earlier this summer. And what they found was 72% of employees say that their purpose should have more weight than profits. But only 42% of employees say that their company's purpose has impact. Mm-hmm. And so there's a 30% delta there. And that 30% delta is what I call the purpose gap. There's not alignment within companies between the fact that they need to have more purpose in society and they're not achieving it. They're not doing it. They're not doing anything that's impactful. And so 
the only way to really bridge that purpose gap is to embed as a leader, your reflection, your exploration, have discussion, and then also take action. And that needs to all be integral to the team. It needs to be at the heart of the business and the organization. And so for me, with that understanding, it was like the first thing I need to do as a leader is I wanted to get real with people. I wanted to get real. I wanted to be raw with my people and let them know that I cared, that I wanted to create a baseline for them, for their perspective, for their expectations of me as a leader of the organization. And I wanted them to know that they could hold me to the highest standard, that it was not going to be a one-way street. I wanted them to know, I told all of my people from the first weekend that they were supported, that they were here, and I was here right along with them every step of the way. And I told them on their first appointments after training when they were feeling nervous and they were anxious and they just wanted to get off that training because it was so long sitting there staring at Zoom for two days. But hey, you're probably really apprehensive right now heading into your first presentations with customers, even though they're people that you know. And I want to let you know that on your first appointment, you're going to crash and burn. It's going to be a total train wreck. And I am right here with you. And when you call me to clock in, when you call me for help, the first thing that I'm going to say, Emily, the first thing I'm going to say, Therese, is, hey, did you totally botch it? And you're going to be like, yeah, I totally botched it. I'll be like, awesome. So did I. Great job. Because by default, your second appointment is going to be that much better. Your third appointment is going to be that much better than that, and so on and so forth. And just like riding a bike without training wheels, you might fall down a couple of times. You might skin your knees and you didn't give up then as a little kid. So I'm not going to let you give up now, but I'm also not going to let you skin your knees. I'm going to be right there with you, even when the training wheels are off, to help guide you, to stand there and hold the handlebars with you until you feel comfortable riding on your own. And so I encouraged my people and I gave them permission from the outset, from the get-go to pester me. I told them, if you don't feel like you're calling me so much that you're pestering me, you're doing the job wrong. And so there were many instances where I was on the phone, where I was on Zoom with people at 1, 2, 3 a.m. at night, where I'd talk to them six times on a single presentation. And as a result of that, my people felt supported because they knew that I cared. I think also connected with the purpose gap was recognizing the superpower that I have as as a leader, uh, that I have as far as painting vision and inspiring people and stepping into that superpower of mine, and then keeping our purpose top of mind and consistently measuring our success, measuring what I could as far as our statistics go, and then trying to learn from that, trying to improve every day, trying to improve every week, both as an individual and as an organization, so that way we could reach our highest potential. And then I would say the last thing was just an an insatiable desire to be my best every day. And there were a lot of days that I woke up that I was sick. There were a lot of days that I woke up where I didn't feel well. There was a lot of days where I woke up and I just like didn't want to be there. I didn't want to give it my all. It's like, can I just take a break? But my people, they counted on me. And I had told them from the get-go that they could count on me. And so it would be out of integrity to say, hey, you know, I promised to be here for you but I can't. And so I, uh, I really took that to heart. And when I made that promise, it helped hold me accountable too. And so when I promised people that I was going to care for them, it made me really, really care more than maybe I might've had I not made that promise initially. And so I feel like just that insatiable work ethic, that desire to honor my word was really valuable and it helped set the tone for how they needed to conduct themselves as well. Kyle, you put yourself on the line with your people, which I think is a really, it's a daunting and challenging thing to do. 
And it's also very important to do. There's a concept we call speak into reality, right? And when you say something is going to happen, or you say you're going to take an action, that puts a form of pressure on you that I think is a positive pressure. And if you get in the habit of, as you said, you use the words, honor your word, if you get in the habit of honoring your word, if you get in the habit of when you say you're going to do something, you do it, you feel this internal need to follow through on that, right? It becomes uncomfortable to say something and then not do it. And I think that's a really important part of being a great leader. It's a really important part of building relationships with people because it builds that trust and it builds a feeling of certainty in people around you with the things that you say and the things that you tell them. So that's all very powerful parts of being a great leader. Awesome. Kyle, what are you most excited about for the future? Well, as you know, Dan, uh, I took the next step within Vector. And uh, after my branch summer had ended, I was supposed to close up shop and say goodbye to my little Padawans and, <laughs> and everything in August. And I decided that it wasn't time yet. I decided that I didn't want to let my my people leave the nest quite yet. So I kept the nest open and was promoted to being a district manager and took over the San Francisco area as well. So I was able to expand my territory a little bit and also hopefully expand my influence, hopefully be able to make the same impact on even more people. And so I'm really excited moving into the fall, moving into the spring, just moving into the future to see, you know, first off, the people that are currently on my team continue to grow. I think about all the young leaders, many of whom I mentioned, but many of whom I haven't had an opportunity to mention on this call, and seeing them really grow as individuals, seeing them develop their confidence and their skills to just see what's capable for themselves. And in the process, you know, liberate and inspire their peers and inspire others to do the same. And so I'm really encouraged and excited to help them step into their ambitions more because I feel like too often times in society, we've been conditioned as people to be apologetic for our aspirations. And so I'm really excited to help these people, uh, help my representatives step into that greater version of themselves and not be apologetic for it to instead realize that when they do that, they liberate other people and give them permission to do the same. I think the other thing that I'm really excited for this fall is just to continue to grow myself. And, you know, I think that we talk about your circle of influence and being surrounded by people. And I want to make sure that I'm surrounded by people that are constantly pushing me to do better, constantly pushing me to grow, constantly pushing me to reimagine what I think is possible. And, you know, the culture within Vector is so unique. Many, many people that I've spoken to that I've since left Vector and had very successful careers have said there's, there's nothing they've ever done that has paralleled or come close to paralleling the culture that is within Vector, the culture that's comprised or made up of all the different managers that work within Cutco that want to continue to just help growing pe young people. And so it's such a great atmosphere to be a part of because everybody's focused on constant growth. And it's impossible to not get pulled in the right direction when you're surrounded by so many people that want to get better all the time. So I'm really excited to continue to evolve as a person, to evolve as a leader, to evolve as um, a motivator, and hopefully to use the experiences of you know being a district manager to maybe someday leverage influence at a higher level. Yeah, well, whether you do that here or you do that someplace else down the road, it's going to be a, a great success, I'm sure. You know, I love what you said about it, you know, enabling people to feel good about their ambitions and to use their ambitions to inspire other people, to show other people what's possible. 
that's what we do as leaders. That's what we do here in Vector. We set a, a positive example for so many other people to enable them to step into their own possibility to become that better version of themselves that they can become. And uh, you've done a great job of setting the stage for that uh, uh, here this summer. So great work, Kyle. Thanks so much for making time to share all your insights and your stories here on the podcast today. Thank you again, Dan. I really appreciate you having me today. Kyle Lopes, everybody. What you just heard was truly a clinic on starting up an operation and building it from scratch. Starting with the question that we reminded you of from the first episode with Kyle of who is the kind of person you want to become and how would that person act in each situation? Beginning to identify a vision of who it is you want to be, what are the actions, habits, beliefs of that person, and gradually moving yourself in that direction. Leaning in to challenge instead of stepping back. Approaching your new business with fervor. The fervor to be willing to work as hard as you can for a short period of time as you are getting something started. I think that's so important for any new entrepreneur. Building a staff and getting the right people on the bus, that is an important key in establishing any new business. And then, of course, communicating your vision. Communicating your vision for the team, the organization, where it's going to go, what that's going to mean for every individual, and how does each individual fit in and what are your expectations of them being real and raw about the expectations that you have for your people, combining that real, sincere, candid feedback with great praise and encouragement for the things that are going well. Occasionally taking stock of what you're accomplishing, right? Stepping back once in a while to look and see, hey, where are we now compared to where we were in the past? And realizing that the path you're on is a positive one, even if there are some bumps in the road along the way. Working with your people, the way Kyle worked with some of those individuals to help manage their emotions and to help them continue moving forward, overcoming the obstacles so that they could achieve the success that they wanted, giving people permission to ask for help so that it creates open dialogues with anyone on the team, and generally just bringing a high level of leadership qualities of care to the team. So many of the things that Kyle talked about, that's what it takes to build any great team. Hey, I never got to a chance to really... Uh, get into with Kyle, some of the key people that have influenced and helped him over his career. We talk about that a little bit more in episode 47, but a shout out to Mike Schmidt for all of the effort and dedication that he has put into Kyle over the years, over the many years of helping develop him as an individual. And a shout out to Dave Powders, the division manager for the Bay Area, who trained, initially trained all of those reps that were part of Kyle's team this summer. And certainly uh, without Dave and his great training, this result would not have happened. Hey, if you feel anyone can benefit from this episode, please share the episode with them. Uh, as you all know, the podcast is a free service provided to the Vector Cutco community and to anyone else who is interested in career, personal, and professional growth. The price we ask is simply share it with others. 
take a few minutes to give us a rating and a review on your podcast player or a few moments. It just takes a few seconds, actually, to do that. And I invite you to connect with me uh, in the various ways that you can. Uh, you can subscribe to an email list on the podcast webpage, changinglivespodcast.com. You'll gain some free resources by doing that. Uh, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. And I look forward to being able to share with you more great information in the future. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.